Hey, and just a quick reminder that the audio-only versions of these Vital MX interviews are available on the Vital MX podcast page. Search for it anywhere you get your pods and let your friends know about it. Hey guys, it's Jamie Guida with Vital MX, and I'm back with another Industry Insights. This week, I've got Canvas's Michael Lieb on the phone. What's going on, Michael? How are you, man? Doing good, man. Really glad to talk to you. And uh, just so you know, the way I start these things usually is getting a little bit of your background, like where you grew up, how you got into moto. Oh, man. Yeah. Take uh, take you all the way back to day one. Um, my dad used to race. Uh, he never made it to the professional side, but he was just an intermediate guy. They were from the East Coast in New Jersey, uh, riding all the district stuff over there. And in 86, my dad moved out here and uh, actually was, he was working for Extreme Gear, funny enough, for Race Tech and a, a couple other deals. And then he started working for PC. I was born in 91. I love dirt bikes from my earliest memory. I think they are dirt bikes. And um, I was off training wheels at like one and a half <laughs> years old. And that was history. That's funny. I'm looking at my, I have two displays, like display shelves with helmets. And I have my yeah. silver extreme helmet with the American flag on it, the fin <laughs> on the back, sitting right there. That's awesome. Love that thing, man. And I have an extreme jersey hanging up in my shop. Yeah, I love that extreme gear. You may not know, but Dale Davis. So um, Dale Davis was a big part of that whole deal. I'm not going to, don't fact check me here. Okay. But he, so he works with 6D and it was funny because we were making some 6D stuff for, we did like an intro um, at Paula about a year and a half ago and he wanted to make up some 6D gear and it was just hilarious because, you know, here we are, what, probably 30 years later designing you know, 60s stuff with the same guys that my dad used to work with. It was just funny. That's really funny. cool. Yeah. You do a lot of cool retro, like, um, yeah, kind of uh, tribute stuff. And I'm going to get into that when we get to Canvas, but let's get into you then. When do you start racing and how quickly do you progress? Started racing when I was four. Um, well, I'll take that back. I did my first race when I was four at Paris and I won on a little PW50 and it was in the parking lot. <laughs> down on the back where, where the 50 track used to be and my dad and my mom pretty much told me you know hey we're you know they didn't want to go down the full path because they knew once we started it wasn't going to stop um so we rode from four to seven and then at seven we really started racing and then at eight we started doing amateur nationals and once we started doing the amateur nationals we we never stopped you know Ponca, loretta's whitney mosier o'kill Gatorback, all that stuff just went click, 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 and and we were off to the races from that point. Um, won my first championship at Minio's um, in 2002, signed a Team Green deal in 2003, won World Minis in 2003 on a 60, and got hurt a lot over the next four or five years. I was always, uh, you know, the age group and the way that the amateur side works. I was always having to get on a bigger bike when I was too small, but my age, you know, forced me out. Mm -hmm. So I was always just super little getting on the bigger bike and I just fought injuries all the way up until like 2007, 2008. I really started to put things together, still had some injuries and then I won the resident 09. So I only have like three amateur titles. Um, and from that point forward, we went from 250B and we went A. That next January after Loretta's in 2009, I was on a plane to Europe and started my pro career in Europe racing MXGPs. Okay, so I knew you did GPs, but I didn't realize you started there. How did that come about? 
After Loretta's, we did a race at Elsinore. It was like a supercross deal that they had going on there. And Jackie Vamond, who was a part of Bud Racing, Kawasaki at that point, was here with Nico Aubin and Gregory Aranda. And they were over here and I won that whole deal. And I got a call like three weeks later and they were like, hey, like, would you be interesting in, you know, interested in coming and finishing out the season in MX2? Nico Aubin, who was third the year before in the championship, he was just going to go up to 450 because he was coming off of an injury. And I, I took the took the deal. Um, we were going to do amateur. Sorry. We were going to race amateur up until outdoors. Mm-hmm. 2010. And we were going to do it ourselves. And I got a deal to, you know, kind of be be paid, put some money in the pocket and go race dirt bikes and travel the world. So that was we, we definitely took a different avenue at that point when we turned pro. Yeah, that's a really cool story. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, what was the best part of racing GPs and living abroad? It was a really tough time period for me. Mm. Um, I moved over there. I was 17. And my mom came with me for the first trip that I went. And my dad followed up with me later. The first day that I got there, I broke my wrist. Um, and I missed the first GP that I was supposed to be at. And I rode the second one 11 days after. And just kind of raced myself back into shape. Um, we had a lot of bike issues the first year there. Um, it was the biggest culture shock being 17 over there by yourself. Not a whole lot of friends. Not a you're you're far away from the tracks. The tracks suck. They're not prep. <laughs> you know, you you realize how catered to that we are. Especially, it's funny. It, I'm starting to sound old, I guess, but like. Dude, in the early 2000s, there was so many tracks in SoCal. And then, like, you kind of look at it now, and there's, there's like, th- two or three options, which is still a lot, three or four options, which is good. But back then, like, there was nine or ten options. So when you move over there, and, like, you have two tracks to ride, and they're never prepped besides once a year. They're rocky. They got gnarly sand stuff. You just realize how spoiled we are. Mm-hmm. I can um, see that. So that was that was a huge culture shock for me. And then the next year, I ended up signing with BMW Husky. That was before KTM bought it. Um, and we signed a, a one-year deal over there. I learned at that age that money's not worth everything. Um, <laughs> our, our race bikes were 33 horsepower up against KTM's 47 horsepower that year. And that was another big culture shock. And I actually left the last race there of the year. And I said, I'm done. I'm never going back to Europe. I'm over it. I don't want to do it anymore. And don't, don't want to be part of that. So we came home. I built my race team with my mom and dad. And we did the West Coast rounds. And um, it was right after the first West Coast break. Because like, there used to be the five straight in a row. And then you know we'd have like six weeks off. Um, I got a call to go fill in for Osborne with Factory Yamaha. Got a second overall at my first GP. Went there to kind of put my hands up and give a big F you to you know, the, the time that I had there before that, cause it was difficult. I enjoyed the shit out of it. And I signed a one year deal with CLS Kawasaki, which was the PC Kawasaki team that year. They ended up terminating my agreement three weeks before I was meant to be there. Won't get into the drama side of that. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I just came home and I raced West coast up until like, 2020 but in 2015 i crashed really bad in oakland i shattered both ankles my right ankle i ended up having to do a fusion on and at that point it's just uh things kind of fell apart after that 
Yeah, but you did have some, I would say, success in the U.S. I mean, you had a couple sixths, a couple sevenths. Top tens, I mean, that that's pretty damn good, in my opinion, because, I mean, I'm a guy that's never been fast enough to even consider being a pro. So I feel like there has to be some positives you took away from your pro career in the, in the U.S.? A hundred percent. Tons of positives. I mean, yeah, we we had good results. I never really raced an outdoor in the USA, which I look back on and wish I did. Um yeah, I mean, dude, we were a privateer getting six place finishes. I had a handful of those. We were a pretty consistently top ten guy. Um, running our own program out of the trailer that I grew up racing with since two thousand two. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, did did we do well? We did well. It wasn't the goal. Um, you know, we didn't get to to the podiums or the or the top fives that we were really shooting for. But um it's just you know, you, you look back and you're always going to wish that you did more in whatever you do. Right. I think that, I think anyone can relate to that, whether it's business relationships, work, racing career, whatever it is, you're, you're always going to want more. Absolutely. I think as long as you can look back on it and say, look, I got to do this. I see some positive positives in it. Uh, you know, and you, and you enjoyed most of it. I think that's a successful career. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for what I went through. There you go. Um, I, I absolutely hated a lot of the time that I was in Europe, but when I look back on it, I love what I learned from it. And looking back at, you know, being able to say that I was 21 and I can speak two languages and been to 40 plus countries and got paid to go race my dirt bike is things that people will never experience in a lifetime. Um, you know, I, I'm thankful my second year there, I really turned the, the, the picture in my mind of, I wasn't able to really achieve with certain equipment of what I was there to do. And at that point it was out of my control and it was just the circumstance that it was. And I had to deal with it. Yeah. And that, yeah. that year I really learned to kind of let it go and, and enjoy learning Europe and learning different cultures and different foods and different ways of life and learned a lot about myself too. Um, you know, by no means do I look back and regret any of it. Um, no, it- I wish I accomplished more, of course, but yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it had a a very impactful, man, I can't even say the word, impactual, (laughs) uh, I don't know if that's the right word or not, Uh, you know, situation on your life, though, you you took something away from it, you know, like you said, getting to experience all those things and see different ways of life uh, and kind of opening your eyes to what life, what's really important in life that, man, you can't, you can't buy that can't buy it and in 2015 when i got hurt unfortunately we were we did the all white gear and that was before canvas was even like a forethought right it was just a it was an idea and a way to pay for us to go racing on our own on our own budget um you know and and canvas came because of that right and you know looking back now on where i am i'm far from where i want this vision to be and to turn out but you know the last year and a half or two years now i really put all my focus here and Man, dude, we're, I'm proud of what we're building. I'm proud of what we have coming up. I'm proud of the way that we're putting all this together. And, and again, if had it not been for those racing ideas and, and the, the world that I've traveled and the relationships that I've built, I could never do this. So it's a great thing. And it, and it all stems from day one. So Yeah, and we're, you brought up Canvas and the origins of it, and that's what we're primarily here to talk about. Um, and you, you talked about 2015, as I recall from a previous interview, I heard in 14, you had a gear deal with AXO, if I'm not mistaken, going into 15, they were trying to cut your pay and you decided to do your own thing. And that then grows into what you're doing now. So just talk about that process of 
first bringing in the all white and all black gear and how it grew into canvas? The, the two second or the two minute version of where canvas originated from was, yeah, actually paid me well in 2014. I was their best guy here. I think in points in 14, I don't know if I finished on the top 10 or not overall, 10 or 11. Um, God, I can't even remember. I'll look while you're, yeah, you tell the story yeah. and I'll pull it up. Anyway, I, I had a good year, right? We had our first six place finishes that year. We were consistently in the top 10. I did break an ankle halfway through the season that I rode through. Nonetheless, it was a good year. So in 2015, you know, our, our West Coast budget was about 100K. That's bikes, motors, mechanic, travel, et cetera. If you're going to a race at AMA Supercross, I think back then, I think for a sixth place, I got paid six or seven hundred dollars. Dude, you're you're gonna you're gonna make what seven grand in ten rounds if you get sixth place every night. So how do you how do you justify that? How do you figure out a way to fill the gap? Well, if Axo is one of my gear sponsors, let's say that they're coming up with twenty, and you know that's that's 20% of my budget that I got to spend. Right. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a number. So, okay, well they cut me down to 1500 bucks. Well, uh, their number one placement on the, on the most visible thing that, you know, a rider has on them. And they're essentially going to offer you 1500 bucks. And what are you going to do? You're going to go to Fox fly Thor, et cetera. You're going to go down the list and you're probably going to get between two and three or $4,000. So my dad, who I'll give credit to, we were watching NASCAR and we were like, dude, why don't we just go get title sponsorship stuff? Let's take all the logos off the gear. Let's get all white gear and let's go sell mom and pop, you know, companies, a, um, you know, primary branding on a per round basis. Let's not even go do a whole year thing. It's way easier to go find 10 people to give you 10 grand than it is to find one or two people to give you a hundred grand. So we did that and dude, three rounds in, we raised $33,000. And then I got hurt at round four. Now, I never intended that to be the the lead into what Canvas became. Canvas was never an idea. I got hurt in Oakland, and I'm sitting there in the hospital waiting for surgery Saturday night. And I get an email from Ricky, who's part of Radical with him and his brother, Nestor. And they're like, hey, have you ever thought about importing all white and all black gear? And I'm like, no, I've never thought about it. So I forwarded it to my mom, and I was like, hey, let me know. You know, talk to these guys, let me know if there's something from it. Meanwhile, I went to surgery. The next week was brutal. Things kind of started coming around. I started feeling better. And mom was like, oh, yeah, by the way, I've been talking to these guys for like the last week. And they're like awesome, awesome people. Um, I've never met them at that point, but um, they're as close as family to me. That's not not blood anyway. Um, and Canvas became that. It was all white and all black gear. And we sold that for about a year and a half. And Things started to get difficult as things kind of grew, and I was still racing. I was still doing everything in between, but they're based out of Argentina, so shipping things from Argentina here became hard. (laughs) And then I started learning about customization and dye sublimation and all that stuff, and then I tried to find some U.S. vendors, and it was a very, very challenging, say, five or six years to try to get the product right as far as getting a jersey made here. It wasn't that hard. Getting a pant made here, another story. And at that point, we kind of ran through that same process up until, I'd say, 2021. And I called those guys, and I was like, guys, I'm either shutting Canvas down, or I need to figure out how to make it myself, Mm. ourself, however you want to word it. And at that point, we decided to start Lucid. 
and that was in January of 2022. And we started Lucid with Radical, who was the reason that I started Canvas eight years before. Yeah, so Radical is the supplier of the, the product, the gear, and Lucid is where you actually manufacture and is build it. So Radical is a gear brand in South America. Yeah. And they, in Argentina, they can't export to, say, Europe or USA or Brazil, right? You can do small stuff, but once you start getting into numbers, you can't do it. So the idea when we started Lucid was that they knew how to make gear, and I knew how to sell gear. I didn't know how to put it together. I didn't know the machinery that we need. I didn't know how to run the production that we need to run. So they're a strategic partner on my side to say, guys, I can't do this alone. But if you guys want to do this together, you guys will be able to sell and produce worldwide that's manufactured out of the USA. And that whole synergy between Radical and their brand and Canvas and my brand and a need for a manufacturing based in USA that we both had made sense for us to jump in bed together and, and make this happen and bring it to life. I like this because most riders would just like Alex Ray this year, right? He, he quit, he retires and he goes to work for a gear company. That's the normal path. You yep. started your own company and you know, and I don't think the idea was to go up against the big brands. It's just another option, but I love this, this option that you came up with. This is fantastic. Well, I think, I think two things, right? Like it's pathetic to me. I mean, you, you go through COVID, right? And God, COVID's still, you know, so wild to think back on, even though it wasn't really that long ago, but COVID changed a lot of things, right? Like had I done what I'm doing now pre COVID, I think it would be a lot less successful. Mm. And I say that because meanwhile, you, you've got COVID, you got boats stuck in Long Beach and you couldn't get stuff off the boats. So gear companies, you know, and, and one of our first business models with Lucid, just to be transparent, there's nothing to hide, is one of our first business models was to work with gear companies in the USA, right? And I didn't even really want to make Canvas in-house 100% because it's custom and it's really inefficient to make. Well, when we started the idea in 22, early 22, of like going around all the gear companies, it was like, dude, every gear company wanted gear made here now, right? Because boats were stuck. They couldn't get anything produced in China because they were still shut down. So they're like, dude, if you had a USA ability to make gear here, we're in. So I'm like, okay, cool. Because when we built this place, it was, hey, do we build it for what we need? Or do we build this as a foundation to turn gear manufacturing into a, a possibility on a larger scale two, three, four, five, six years later? The cost difference wasn't that much. So we decided, all right, let's play ball. Let's play ball. Let's jump into this. Let's build what we need for now but have a foundation that we can grow from. So when we did that and we, you know, talking on these gear companies, we get kind of excited. And we're like, Hey, like, Oh, sweet. This is going to be awesome. Well, when we're ready to do business in September of 22, we start calling around. Well, okay. Stimulus checks stopped going out. Mm. People kind of stopped spending money. Gear companies ended up getting all the extra gear that they ordered because they were nervous because they couldn't even get the initial orders that they were trying to get. So what happened? Gear companies didn't really need anything, which was kind of what we built the bigger place for. Um, so that was a severe struggle for us. So then it was like, all right, let's blow up Canvas. Let's blow up Radical. Let's blow up the things that we have control over and, and let's grind. Um, and that's that's where you know Canvas took a big step this year of 23. We sponsored AJE. We sponsored Kevin Moran's. We had a deal with Sabachi. 
We had a deal with Time Master Pool. You know, we we finally started pushing Canvas because pre twenty three, I wasn't ready to push the company because I wasn't happy with the product. Now I make it. Now I'm pretty happy with the product. I got a long way to go, but we're getting there. In USA manufacturing, you're paying four times more for labor and four times more for than you know what your companies are making things for overseas. But you've got to start somewhere. And I believe that USA manufacturing has got to come back to a certain degree. So why not be a part of it? Yeah, I, I love that. And starting this process couldn't have been easy back in the beginning. I mean, it, there's a lot of equipment. Uh, you're doing a lot of the sewing. There, you're having to learn the manufacturing process. Uh, you talked about dye sublimation. Like it, it had to be really expensive to get started and take a lot of time to learn the process. I'm absolutely terrified. I'm so terrified every day. I I can never go back and tell myself the stresses and the sleepless nights and everything that you go through, but go listen to any successful business story. Go look at anyone that's ever started, failed, or had a successful business, right? You know, racing dirt bikes is hard. Um, you know, you put yourself through a lot of things that, you know, over 10, 12, 15 years of racing just start to become normal. Um but in the beginning, it's it's scary, right? In the beginning, for me, this is way scarier than I thought it would ever be. I have 12 people here that work for us that depend on us. Mm. Um, you know, and they have families and everyone else has families. And dude, it's, it's, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. And we're putting together a manufacturing facility that no one's really doing in USA, especially not to the scale that we are as far as the motocross community goes in a business model that no one's ever done with custom gear before. Mm -hmm. So I can't look at this and say, Oh, this is a for sure success, right? This is going to be easy because I'm just going to go look at what they're doing and do exactly that. We're finding the problems out as we go and having to evolve live time. And that's, that's scary. You know, that's it's super scary. And then you get all these gear companies that want to play ball and want to do, you know, do business. But then, they have a warehouse full of inventory. A lot of these gear companies probably have eight times more inventory than what they're used to. Cash flow wise, dude, that's got to be a nightmare, right? So we make things to order. Canvas doesn't have necessarily overhead because everything's custom. Um, but again, we're, we're kind of carving out a new hole in the market here that is different from the way that gear has been done for 60 plus years. And I think that it needs a change. I, I'm not trying to even just say that, oh, Canvas is going to change the way everything's done from here forward. I'm saying as a community within the gear world, we can really work with a couple of gear companies here and create them a really nice flow of USA made product within four to five week turn times. That's quick. Yeah, that's good. Right. Most of these gear companies are used to, you know, 10 to 15 monthly times. Mm-hmm. And the cost, jersey wise, getting a little competitive not that <laughs> far off now it's not that far off where five years ago it would have been that's why i said earlier i think five years ago had i done this it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work yeah when it comes to the pants i remember when i was at your facility with michael Lindsay, like i said a year and a half ago or so and i, I heard you talking about um the panels like you keep it to a lower i think a lower number of panels and uh, i don't know much about clothing i assume that's the individual pieces that are sewn together so it's a it, what does that explain panels and why you use a lower number? So time. So time. I mean, you're okay. dude, sewers, 
some sellers make, you know, 22, 24, 25 bucks an hour and, and it's expensive. And when you think about like having a team of say two or four people, you know, sewing pants and you've got 30 pieces in a pant compared to say 15, mm-hmm. that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time on sewing. That's a lot of extra time on cutting because there's someone hand cutting that out. And that's a lot of time and eliminated. That's even on the artwork side, right? If you're laying artwork out and you've got to put it across 30 pieces instead of 15, that's time all the way around. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. That's um, see, And that's stuff that as a consumer, like I wouldn't have thought about without you kind of bringing that to my attention. Just, yeah. I mean, the, the whole reason that we use like a, I've just ordered a new material from Asia that I think we'll have here in another four weeks. Um, it's going to improve our pant drastically, but our pant material is stretchy. The reason that it's stretchy is we in USA cannot build a Chinese spec pant here with even any chance to sell it. I'd have to retail it at like eight or nine hundred dollars. Oh, Jesus! Where right now we retail at two hundred four or whatever we are. So. If I'm trying to find a way to make a pant here, it's got to be simple. It's got to be stretchy. I got to use one material where you see other pants from Asia that have, you know, maybe three, four, five materials on them. It's the right way to do it, but you can't build that pant here. So we had to find a way to build a hybrid pant that works, that's comfortable, that's as durable as we can get it. Because anytime that you go stretchy, you lose the durability factor. But anytime that you lose the stretch factor, you got to add in other paneling for the pant to be able to flex around the knee and around the hip area. So we really had to spend a lot of time to figure out, okay, can we even make a pant affordable here in the USA that we can, that we can sell and move on? Yeah, that see, uh, that's eye opening to me. Cause I don't, I wouldn't have thought about that stuff. I don't deal with that kind of stuff. So it's really very interesting. One of the coolest things about canvas is with the custom stuff that the consumer has complete control over the design. Uh, they can come up with colors and, you know, put whatever logos they want on. I have to imagine that's one of the highlights. One of the key reasons people come to you is they can do pretty much anything they want with their gear, make it personal. Think about gear. Like everyone's got a style, right? Whether you're a, whether you're a Fox fan, if you're a Fox fan, you like clean, racy, simple stuff. If you're a Thor fan, Thor's really been what Thor's been for, a while, right? Your, 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 your gear companies are all split up upon something that they've been consistent with. And that's your buyer. Well, say that you're sick and tired of kind of seeing the same stuff. And not only that, you got to go pay to put name and numbers on, you don't have die sublimation. You don't have all these other options that we allow a customer to have. Let's just say that you, you want a different colorway than what they come out with. And you're not super stoked on all the colorways that they have for the fall drop. Right. Mm-hmm. We have three different series that we offer, four actually. We have our label series, which is like us as a gear company. Every two months, new design, eight plus colorways. We take your logos, we take your name and number. You get the full factory treatment that we give, say, a Time Master Pool, right? We match all the colors of the logos. We do a specific name and number font. You get labeling inside the tag. You get a cool box. Like the whole thing's like, it's our factory treatment. Then we have a mod series for people, let's say like me, that say, I don't like any of that and I want to go make something myself. Well, we'll give you like 15 different mod series options of different stuff. You can delete our logos. You can change colors on it. You can add anything in there that you want in our 3D virtual designer. 
Then we have our custom series, which is all white start of gear, all, all white base. You create anything that you want. And if you don't know how to create it online, email us in and, and we'll send you a link for our designer and we'll design it for you. And it's completely one off. The minimums that you have to make are one. <laughs> that's pretty rad. Yeah, that's that's unusual too. Then we have customers. Let's say that you're, say, one to 99 unit customer that wants to do wholesale. Mm-hmm. We offer wholesale for people. So let's say that Vital, for example, wanted to create a gear line, right? And you guys wanted to make 50 cents a gear and you guys wanted to resell it and you guys wanted to go down that path. We can provide that for you. All private labeled. All Vital MX looks like it is all you guys, right? Then we have the Lucid side, which is where the manufacturing steps in on 100 plus units. We're, we produce for you on a pretty low price point. Um, and we can make people a gear company essentially overnight with our chassis. So we have a lot of different options. I'm using a different option right now, too. Is something I think that our sport needs is replica jerseys. You know, you go to a football stadium and you see a New England Patriot team and you can go buy a Tom Brady jersey. Or if you go to an, a Lakers game in L.A. and you can go buy a Kobe Bryant or a um, LeBron jersey, I think people should be able to go buy an Eli Tomac jersey. I think people should be able to support their rider like what we did with Time Masterpool, where the rider, the team, and the gear companies, and heck, even Feld, everyone should make a, a profit share on having replica jerseys sold in the market. I think it helps our sport. I think it helps our riders. And I think it helps outside money look at us differently. And if you go look at IndyCar, football, baseball, NHL, basketball, whatever the heck you want to go look at, we're the only serious sport not doing it. And I think it's pathetic. I cannot agree with you any more than that. That I, I love that idea. Uh, and I think fans... If you could get the word out, if we could help get the word out, the marketing on that, fans would love that. Like, how many kids would want a, you know a Jet jersey or you know, you know a Hayden Deegan jersey? You know, their favorite rider, of course, all of them. But why hasn't it done? Why hasn't it been done? That's a good question. I, I mean, there has to be. I, I would assume it comes from all the different, you know, the monsters and the Red Bulls and the Hondas, and probably not somebody. Everybody wants their hand in in the pot. But it's gotta it's gotta hit a certain threshold where it gets done, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the number one reason that I know that it's not been done yet, think about a gear company. If it takes them ten months to get, say, three thousand Tomac jerseys, right? Mm-hmm. They gotta go logistically purchase that. Alpine Star probably doesn't have a direct consumer side of their logistics, right? As far as shipping and everything else goes. So not only do they have to go order three thousand jerseys for Tomac eight months ahead of schedule. When let's think eight months ago, no one knew if Tomac was still racing next year. Good point. They couldn't even order them yet. They couldn't even order them up until what two months ago. Yeah. So they wouldn't even be here until halfway through Supercross season. And then logistically, how do you how do you sell them? How do you go down that path? So what if we created an on-demand version of say? a replica jersey model where we worked with all the gear companies and all the teams and all the riders and everyone made money from it. No one had to do anything. It seems like a, a winner to me. I, I would, you know, well, I probably order one or two. So I, I think that that's, that's like a, anyway, yeah. I, you can, I'm sure see how my brain works. I go <laughs> from one topic to the next, like I've got ADD, like there's no tomorrow. But, no, it's great. Um, it's great, man. But um, th- th- these are the cool things though, that like, I think as a racer, 
I've really enjoyed after racing of like having a massive problem of like, okay, hey, how do we sell gear and how do we move units and how do we make and how do we add value? I think that these are the things that come from that, right? The mm-hmm. the ideas, the the dreaming, the the bigger picture vision. And dude, gear is gear has just been so stale. I mean, when was the last thing that someone did with gear that was like, wow. It's been a while. Yeah. I like I really like the re- the or the replica like the baseball stuff. I'm not even a big baseball fan, but when I saw like the Padre stuff and I think you did that one was that 22 or 23 where you, like each round, each city for the first few rounds you did that. Jerry Robin did it yep. in uh 21. Oh, it was 21, so, no, that long ago. No, sorry, it was 22. It was okay. 22, yeah. So we did it like a baseball or a football theme at every round that we went to. Yeah. And it was it was cool. Was there a 49ers one? I feel like there was, but maybe I'm just imagining that. I don't think there was a uh, 49ers. Well, there should have been, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, two more things before we wrap this up. Ryan Villapoto, it's your brother-in-law, correct? Yes, sir. He He's a uh, part. I don't know how, what his involvement as a company is. I know he's wearing canvas. What's it been like working with him and having him involved? So he just he just wears the canvas gear. He's not um, he's not a part of the the company as far as canvas goes. Um, he is a part of Lucid. Mm-hmm. So Lucid is you know essentially um, something that we work together quite a lot on. Um, I try to involve him as much as he wants to be. Um, it's it's cool. Um, you know he's he's busy and he doesn't. I don't think he's not super into wrapping his head up in in the numbers side of things. Um, he likes the ideas and he likes kind of brainstorming and going down that side of it. Um, but yeah, and he's also my brother-in-law, so it's cool to, to work with him on, on different levels and just have different conversations, bigger picture stuff. Of course. All right. Last question for canvas. What's next? What's in the next 12 months? What's in the next five years? 12 months, I would say, God, we got a big plan for 24. We got a, we got a few new teams that we're going to be a part of, um, We've kind of spoke about the fact that we're going to be with AEO. I've got two other teams and one or two other riders past that that we're going to do some unique stuff with. Um, as far as exactly what we're going to do that's different than what we're already doing, not a whole lot. We're going to do the custom stuff that we can do as much as possible. We're going to try to find ways to create revenue for the riders. Um, you know, it's it's hard for us to compete with the gear companies that are out spending, you know, say a couple million dollars a year when we don't even do a couple million dollars a year. So that part of it is tricky for us to be creative with. Although I think we've got a couple cool ways that we're going to come up with some, some cool concepts there. And in five years, I'd love for canvas to be something that companies use as their own marketing tool. I'd love to see people understand the customization and the uniqueness that we do provide on a USA produced product and just create their visions into reality through, through what we can do. You know, it, the name canvas is a blank canvas and we literally can create anything that any customer wants. Um, and if you don't know how to do it, if you don't know how to do it on our 3d design tool that we have on our website, just email us, call us, let us know what you want to do. Um, there's a lot of companies that use us for, for charity events, for fundraising needs for, you know, their own, company branding mm-hmm. um rather than wearing you know just a gear company that doesn't support them they might as well go make their own company that they support themselves with um and just use it as a, a lot of different tools there's a lot of different ways that our company can be utilized for 
for people that I don't really think are within the normal that they look at us and think about every day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I hope that a lot of people listen to this or read this and realize what all you offer and get more involved with Canvas. I'm really excited about this interview. And uh, next time I'm in Cali, I need to get ML or I'll just, I need to come back by and see the place again. Cause like I said, I was pretty new at vital when I came by the first time. I don't even know if he had hired me yet. I might've been out there just visiting. It was your first came, week or two. Yeah. I think I just started. I think it was when I was out there learning how to, yeah, that's right. When I was learning how to, even use the website and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So I definitely want to come back out when I'm out there in January, come check it out and say hi. But absolutely, man. Doors are open. We've, I think we, we've got some, uh, quite a bit of new machinery. And since you were here, Sweet. um, yeah, but no, anytime, man, please come down. And if there's anyone listening to this, even that's in the Temecula area and wants to kind of check it out for themselves or whatever, man, our, our doors are open. We're, we're here as much as we can be and trying to fill, Fill different needs and create new opportunity in our industry, and I think it. I think it needs it, man. I listen. I'm a racer at heart, but um, I want to see this sport grow. I, I think it can be a lot bigger and better than what it is. We need to find ways to get outside money into this world. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. racers can use it the way that I use it to create revenue for myself to pay for my racing. You know, there's there's a lot of different ways that we can attract outside money, and and I'm not even sitting here saying that Canvas is the way to do it. I'm just saying bigger picture using gear in different ways that we haven't thought about or utilized yet. Those are the, those are the paths that I'm trying to take this down right now. Awesome. Michael, man, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. Take care.